the second part of the challenge was about generalizability of AI. And the biggest thing that we realized is that for AI systems to become robust, most important thing is to train AI on huge amount of data. I think the fact that there's so much variation in chest X-rays, right, starting from how different machines are producing it all the way to how the lighting is and what is the exposure. So there are a bunch of things that can completely vary how the chest X-rays look and uh, frankly, as mentioned earlier, right, so as someone coming from a non-medicine background to understand all of those variations, firstly, was very important. Welcome to the CLL podcast series, where we talk with leading companies and startups disrupting the world with AI and ML. This is the first episode of the Cure.AI podcast series. This week, we take a closer look at health tech startup Cure.AI, which went from using AI to make diagnostic imaging easier and more affordable to focusing on coronavirus testing globally. Cure.AI develops deep learning solutions that automatically read and interpret medical images like X-rays, CT scans, and MRIs. The company's product is an AI-based radiology diagnostic aid, and the flagship applications focus on chest X-ray, abnormality detection, and brain CT scan analysis for emergency care. This Mumbai-based healthcare startup recently raised $16 million in funding led by Sequoia India and supported by Mass Mutual Ventures Southeast Asia. For the audience, the same investor also invested in technology-backed companies such as Baijus, Zomato, Gojek, Cred, and many more. Now, as the world battles a pandemic, Cure.ai is ready to do its bit to help curb the further spread of coronavirus. Cure.ai is also the winner of the AI Game Changer Award at the 6th NASCOM Big Data and Analytics Summit 2018. Today we have with us one of the founding members and chief of staff of Cure.ai, Rohit Ghosh. Today's podcast will walk you through how Cure.ai is tapping deep tech. We'll hear from Rohit, the why, what, and how behind what a tech startup is building. We also get an overview of how Cure.ai disrupted the healthcare products and dealt with the initial setbacks whilst launching their first flagship product, QXR. Along with its first-hand experience from Rohit about recent funding they secured. And to top it all off, we will touch upon the many ups and downs Cure.ai faced on the journey of being recognized as the most accurate algorithm for detecting tuberculosis on chest x-ray. So let's dive deep into the origins of Cure.ai. Let's welcome Rohit, founding member of Cure.ai and chief of staff. From a travel enthusiast to a TEDx speaker, he's not only a Google developer expert for ML, but also a semi-radiologist like he calls to himself. Rohit, it's amazing to see how you've excelled in your career and have transitioned from being an AI scientist involved in building R&D products in the computer vision area to being the chief of staff at Cure.ai today. Can you tell me what your day looks like and how do you give yourself breaks between hectic days, especially during this time of working from home? Absolutely. Thanks, Laisha, for firstly inviting me onto the podcast. Absolutely great to be here. Day on day, I think is a fairly difficult question because as you mentioned, the journey has been fairly widespread across last four years. What a day four years back would look like to what it looks right now, probably before COVID was very different. In fact, to be honest, probably before COVID, I was not even spending as much days in office, actually. A lot of it was actually in client locations. But yeah, after COVID, I think it's been a fairly lot more relaxing for me. Finally, I could you know, take some time out, spend some time at home and do it. In terms of taking breaks, I think my best sort of way to relax myself while working from home has been primarily to listen to music and read books. So I couldn't do that while I was doing all this hectic travels and all of that. Today, I do have that opportunity. To, if I'm hooked onto a book, I really love reading a bunch of books. So I take time out between those meetings and sit nicely and can read that up. So that's, I think, is my biggest break that I can avail myself as of today. I think I can totally relate to you as I'm also working from home these days. But yeah, let's now move to talking about how Cure.ai started. We know that Cure.ai was founded in March of 2016 
by Prashant Varya, Dr. Pooja Rao, and an amazing founding team of AI scientists with clinical, scientific, and regulatory knowledge. Cure thought of different uses of AI and deep learning, AI-powered toys for kids, a toy that would grow up with a kid, AI-based fashion, and then the team wanted to apply AI into healthcare. So what was the thought process that went into using AI for healthcare and starting with solving one of the grave problems of the world, the inflated demand for radiologists? Within all of us, there was a strong intensity to make an impactful innovation. I think impact was one of the major things that sort of drove all of us and still drives all of us. And I think in terms of the ideas, the fact that healthcare systems, uh, specifically in countries like India and in other NMICs as well, is hugely broken and there's a there's really big scope of innovation that could completely change the paradigm of healthcare. At least back in 2016, it definitely seemed like. So from that perspective, we definitely wanted to choose healthcare because, uh, and the idea we actually set out also the target and what is still the motto of the company is to make healthcare accessible and affordable for everyone. So I think that was primarily reason why healthcare was zeroed down upon. Yeah, and I think within healthcare, the idea was more, when we started, it was not really as clear as to what exactly would be the journey we would be looking at within healthcare. We started off on a different track and I think over a period of time, we realized that again, in terms of impact, the biggest problem that currently most places have uh, was around lack of radiologists. And that's a problem that seemed definitely like the first frontier for AI to conquer. So that's how we went about that whole business of looking at uh, AI primarily for radiology. Okay. And then uh, you slowly transitioned into solving the TB problem as well in India and across the world. Yeah, I think TB was fairly down the line. I think it was probably somewhere around April of, I mean, May, April around there, 2016, we sort of wanted to, decided to go ahead and look at radiology. And within radiology, and there are a bunch of modalities, body parts that we were looking at uh, early on. And somewhere around, I think, October of 2016, we started looking at what we can do with chest x-rays, given that the chest x-rays are normally the most highly reported voluminous scans and not, and there's not a lot of radiologists who want to read x-rays. So plain films are the most neglected domain across the entire radiology. So that's where we started looking at. And I think once we started looking at chest x-rays, the question then came along was what within chest x-rays do we want to look at and focus at? So from that perspective, TV definitely seemed like something which was, it actually hit home, right? Because in India, we have the it's India is called the TV capital of the world and of the few things that we are we're probably not really proud of in topping that entire list. So there definitely chest x-rays is a critical part of the diagnosis process and we figured that the AI systems currently current existing systems at that point of time were not adequate and capable enough to take care of uh, you know quick instantaneous reads and there was a huge value that we could see right away. So that's, I think, somewhere around the end of 2016, um, start of 2017, we started looking at what we can do for TB. So for the audience, I would say India with 2.8 million cases annually is being counted as the TB capital of India, as you mentioned. And also Cure.ai is solving one of the major health problems of TB in India. But as an AI scientist and as a founding member, you'd agree that it's difficult taking a product from a research phase to a market. So the early life of the product started with a glitch. The first time your team deployed QXR at a radiology center in India around two and a half years ago, they saw a drop in accuracy from what they had observed in training and test data sets to what the doctors say. No doubt training deep learning models, especially in healthcare, is only one part of building a successful AI product and bringing it to healthcare practitioners is a formidable and an interesting challenge in itself. So how did the team handle the problem of you know, generalizing the AI algorithms in place and achieving more than 90% accuracy in detecting 15 of the most common chest X-ray abnormalities today? Yeah, I think that was actually the incident that you mentioned. So it's still vividly, I remember that. So back in 2017, and we saw this huge jump, drop in accuracies. Uh, when we deployed real time. So 
there were a lot of learnings from that particular incident. Uh, one of the most important ones, if I would call it, was the fact that uh, interpretability is something that we need to do, not just for you know, sake of better user experience for radiologists, but also something that can genuinely help us understand what AI is doing. So that was, I think, one of the most critical things that we uh, understood during that particular incident. So that was, I think, that was one of the major learning. Second learning was obviously uh, in terms of testing and how you evaluate AI algorithms and you know how to make it more generalizable. And uh, generalizability as a concept was something we started dabbling with back then. And I think both those pieces about AI, right, interpretability of AI as well as generalizability of AI was something that we closely saw, you know, from firsthand how it can completely affect uh, deployments and the performances there. So from that point onwards, we started working, I think, in both those aspects. Interpretability, obviously, we went ahead and we have published also some of the research work that we did in building interpretable systems for AI specifically for medical imaging, because again, a lot of interpretability work at that point of time was primarily around what was done on natural images. There was not really anything that was out there done for medical images. So it was a huge task to take that piece of learning from natural images, convert it for medical images and uh, put that out. So that was one part of the problem of using interpretability, how we went about it. The second part of the challenge was about generalizability of AI. And, the biggest thing that we realize is that for AI systems to become robust, most important thing is to train AI on huge amount of data. I think the fact that there's so much variation in chest X-rays, right, starting from how different machines are producing it all the way to how the lighting is and what is the exposure. So there are a bunch of things that can completely vary how the chest X-rays look. And uh, frankly, as mentioned earlier, right, so as someone coming from a non-medicine background to understand all of those variations, firstly, was very difficult. And once you understand some of those things, then I think it was more of how to make AI systems robust to all of that. And I think huge amount of data and also a lot of other research techniques that we uh, again incorporated from natural image and other domains, not only images, other domains of machine learning as well, uh, that we incorporated as part of our processes. That I think made the whole system a lot more robust. And yeah, I think, but that's a very important thing you mentioned because I think Today, when we talk to a lot of people and people are building out the AI system, this is an important message that I always want to relay that the building part is a very interesting and obviously adventurous part of the journey. But also apart from that, to make it real is a fairly longer shot. And to do that, it also requires, if not more than that, a lot, yeah, lot more dedication and effort to make it real. Totally agree with you, Rohit, on that. So I've also seen that Cure.ai has very has been very active in publishing white papers and putting out their research and data sets in the world. And I would like to know your opinion on the gap that's there between the academic research papers and building a commercially viable software. Absolutely. I think, uh, firstly, I would directly, I mean, so when you say white papers, so these are mostly all the work that we have been putting out in terms of peer-reviewed publications. And within them, I think there's obviously, uh, while we have obviously strived to make as much of publications out in the open and be as transparent about that entire process, I think the bigger challenge that is there is putting that into a commercial use case. And the, the major reason why I see that as a challenge is firstly, and in terms of, say, for example, data sets, right? Or things that you output out for peer review. There's nothing really that, while as a myself also a reviewer for a bunch of journals and the thing with that process of peer reviewing some of this work is that you are primarily trying to see if the AI training and some of the way it has been and the inferencing has worked is that sort of correct is that working as per expectations but what you're not checking for example is that what is the amount of data that has been trained if the data is enough to come to the conclusion did the data include all sorts of different uh, varieties that it could probably the AI systems could see in real. So it doesn't include all of that. And it's very easy for researchers to, for example, uh, quote some performance, say on 100 or 200 images and go out with that. And while that is extremely obvious, if there's a huge challenge, let's say 
something which is say detecting cancer from early cancer from some kind of medical images that's definitely doing it even on 100 200 images is a fairly commendable effort but in reality to put something out like that would be a dangerous proposition because you do not really know how they really work in real life and all of that so i think today there's not much of a publication which actually is on a huge amount of data sets or for most importantly i don't think there are a lot of publications out there which actually talk about how ai systems are actually benefiting uh, patient health it's obviously a lot of criticism around accuracies or you know efficiencies all of that so obviously some of those things are definitely lacking when you look from a commercial perspective so rohit talking about data cura data started with a lesser subset of around 50000 x-rays and then finally went on to curating a database of about 2.5 million x-rays so creating a data set of such high volume is not easy so what were the initial challenges in terms of data collections and what were your sources of data if you could share with us and how did the team handle all of this in the beginning absolutely it's an interesting story actually when we started off we were probably not even at 50000 we had when we actually started off it was completely just scraping images from websites manually looking at them and doing that on a very as you would call hacky basis and uh, while that was good to get started off we definitely realized even way before our first deployment and even way before thinking about generalizing we realized that we definitely need a huge amount of data to make some of the systems really robust and that's the point of time i think we started looking at what we can do to make the systems more robust get more data into the system and we def- tried working out with different partners i would say who primarily healthcare providers or some kind of radiology outsourcing platforms and different partners and universities as well and tried to work with them to understand what sort of problems they want to solve around chest x-rays and not only chest x-rays i think other other parts of images as well but primarily focused on x-rays chest x-rays and we tried to see what we can do for them and that's how we got started with that process of working with different partners and engaging with them to provide a solution at the uh, you know a solution in exchange of the uh, data that they were providing and we obviously had to make both the audios process of ensuring whether the patient consents and everything were recorded for all of that so that was a long journey uh, and it was definitely not only long it was definitely worthwhile as well i mean it was tough but it was definitely worthwhile to uh, you know work with all our partners and engage with them a lot of them obviously had reservations around sharing data so that also was perfectly fine for us at that point of time but yeah i think overall some of the partners definitely agreed to work with us and that's how we have the huge amount of data that we have today so i think that obviously is one of the over a period of time that happened and once that was all of the data was inside the system i think it made the ai uh, 100 to 1000 times better than what it was back in october of 2016 Okay so definitely data plays a really big role in making algorithms robust and actually putting it out in the market and that's why Kurot AI have come a long way and after the successful launch of chest extra interpretation tool in 2017 you've bagged many awards globally top 30 promising technology startups in India the net explore award for innovative healthcare AI from over 2000 globally technology initiatives Nvidia social innovation award and winning the digital pathology challenge at MICC AI so how do you think recognition on these global platforms helped helped cure.ai create a far reaching impact for healthcare and technology in health absolutely like now actually when you went through that list i was also like okay that's a lot of recognition that we have won. but yes we have thanks to what we have been able to build over you know the first two three years we could actually get a good amount of recognition quite easily and obviously add to that the publication so i think uh, that for the first time there was some indian company that actually went out and tried to win on this kind of challenges or you know this kind of getting this kind of global recognition so that definitely mattered to us and it definitely helped in the perspective of how cure is i think looked at it's not necessarily looked at as an indian ai company trying to just do innovations within the scope of this country but it's primarily i think the global claim of what we can do and uh, kind of quality that we can provide sitting right out of india 
that testament and that validation was definitely something that came as part of this kind of recognitions on international platform and the international media coverages that we got along with those so i think our aspirations were definitely there from day one to look at how what we can do with cure and make it to a global organization but yeah just having that aspiration it was not enough to be able to go out and uh, get some of this global recognitions definitely established cure from there onwards as something yeah that's going to look at the entire global healthcare system and think about problems that we can solve uh, sitting from india so that definitely helps i think that kind of a global uh, recognition definitely helps create that uh, you know concept of a company which is not substandard or something just because they're based out of india that's amazing goit and it's always inspiring to hear the back story of how you became what you are today moving forward the next eureka moment for the team was when you deployed the qer hct solution to detect trauma and stroke cases at a hospital in india around april 2018 and hcd scan solution was also showcased at gutc 2017 and siim 2017 amazingly in march 29 cure.ai's traumatic brain injury and stroke triage tool also received ce certification so i'm intrigued to understand what kind of medical research went into creating an easily accessible diagnostic tool and how long did it actually take it to bring out to people i think hct was something we started working probably around 3 4 months later on when we started working on chest x rays our first sort of submission of international so there's this conference called rsn which is radiologists probably largest conference across the world so rsn 2017 was the first time we had send something over for hct and then got approved there so that kind of gave us a confidence that there's definitely a you know good problem to solve and probably there's a lot of things that we can do around with it but i think in terms of solving that problem it was genuinely a lot more difficult uh, than chest x rays just primarily because of the fact that the images are 3d as opposed to x rays which are 2d and not only that i think that the kind of complexities that come in with 3d images like dimensionality and some of those problems are also uh, fairly critical for us to solve before we could again get something that was robust out there for example like remember this story and this i probably have told also a lot of people i think when we were working on head cts one of our biggest challenge was how we detect fractures from ct scans and this was very difficult for us because head i mean fractures are basically this thin line right and uh, it's very difficult to confuse that from other things that are very similar looking on a head ct scan and it's almost similar to looking for a needle in a haystack and how we went about solving that problems is very interesting we actually talked to a lot of radiologists after almost one month two months of hard trying and solve the problem we couldn't get a way around so we started talking to radiologists to understand how they go about it because it seemed like something that human beings would also have a very difficult time doing and when we talked to radiologists we understood how they do it and they do actually use some other techniques which is basically just trying to see you know where the trauma is and from there they try and detect fractures and that kind of paved also I'm mean, opened up a new way of thinking for us the fact that the way radiologists actually go about solving some of their challenges how diagnosing some of the things is very interesting and very uh, you know it's definitely worth learning from that perspective so while we had obviously started doing some of that already during 2016 when we had started but how to actually go in a much deeper level and use some of that for solving this kind of problem was very interesting and that completely uh, changed i think the way we were looking at problems to solve and and it's so it, the prop I, the idea is that ai is obviously something that is helpful if you give it a lot of data it would definitely give it a diagnosis but what you can do to make that ai system understand better like how you, when you teach children you give a hint and you can also give those kind of hints to ai systems to make them learn better and more robustly so that's some of those things we picked up how radiologists do that decision mimic all of that decision making into ai systems so i think yeah that hcd process doing that was definitely a much tougher ai challenge if i would call it Uh, but once we did it, I think then obviously the kind of approvals and the validations we got, including our publication in Lancet, 
this was in october of 2018 the head ct algorithm and the results that we had got with it got published in the lancet is almost i think the most prestigious medical journal and the interesting part was there was no ai medical imaging publication in the lancet before that and this was lancet's first ever ai in medical imaging publication in october so yeah that was a huge validation of the fact that what we were doing we were on the right path and then the ce approvals and everything started coming in which obviously and then a bunch of different users as you mentioned the first one was in kerala and there onwards the journey has been onwards and upwards amazing talking about the ce approvals and ft approvals let's fast forward to may 2018 when the qxr became the first ai based chest x-ray interpretation tool to receive the ce certification Tell us about more about how Cure.ai expanded to other countries and dealt with all of these data compliance laws, the CE and FD approvals. So in terms of expansion, I think there are two parts to that, right? One is whether there's an actual use case to solve. Right. And the second part is primarily around the whether we have the regulatory approval to actually do that. Uh, so when we started, as I mentioned, right, some of the global recognition that we had got obviously set up the stage for us to look at something broader than what we were doing. And uh, to do that, obviously, we had to prove ourselves worthy of quality on an international platform. So CE definitely is one of the most stringent regulatory authorities responsible for entire Europe. And across the world, it's a fairly recognized global regulatory authority. So uh, that definitely made sense for us to approach CE for certification and getting the product approval. And obviously with the quality of research that we had done and the performances that we had achieved, it was fairly uh, easy for us to get there. And once we did that, uh, then the idea was to primarily see which places have the need for something like this. Just because we have an AI solution uh, which can look at chest X-ray and give an automated diagnosis does not necessarily mean that the world is uh, in everywhere there's a lack of radiologists that needs to be solved so from that perspective we realized that a lot of things that we were doing around tb obviously extrapolates to a lot of places within southeast asia and other parts of um, the world as well where they're struggling with tuberculosis as a problem and at that point of time it was surprising to me also to know that almost 100 uh, odd countries across the world actually have that as a very significant problem and part of their next five or ten year goals actually uh, include complete TB eradication. So that was definitely there. Apart from that, with the chest extra, we found there was a huge use case around uh, high volume centers, right? High volume radiology places where they do a lot of X-ray scans and they don't have enough number of radiologists to look at that. So that's when we devised our algorithm which can completely separate the normal chest extras, which reduces a huge workload. And that had its own use case in other parts of the world as well, specifically parts of the world which are in developed countries where TB not necessarily is a big problem, but the bigger challenge is primarily they don't have as much of radiologist uh, parts of Europe, also in remote parts of these developed countries, right, where you don't have enough number of radiologists reporting. So I think those, I think, were the primarily ways in which we looked at uh, expanding back in 2018. Obviously, over the period last two years, there are more use cases that the X-ray software can do and that has enabled access to even different other geographies or segments. But uh, primarily back then, it was, I think, those two use cases that sort of led the way. I should say that it has been quite a journey of many firsts and a lot of ups and downs. And it's commendable how Cure.ai is working towards solving the problems at a large scale where there's one radiologist per one lakh people, especially in India. So what is the driving factor in providing a solution at such affordable rates? Like I read that it's around $1.5 for radiology interpretation. So for us, I think the, if you're asking for the drive, the idea was obviously embedded within Cure back in 2016 when we had started, which is to make healthcare more accessible and affordable. So if we had to look at ways in which we could completely change or impact at least the major healthcare delivery systems. The, obviously, one of the aspect is how you can make it more cost efficient. And the other aspect is around obviously quality. And I think both of them are fairly important when talking about healthcare delivery systems. You obviously want to make them um, affordable as well as at a good quality. It's not necessarily with, with compromising the quality. So I think keeping those two things in mind, we always wanted to look at ways we can bring down the costs of healthcare delivery and uh, 
yeah keeping i mean specifically in countries like india where it's fairly distributed there's a lot of requirement for it but there's uh, you know, not a very clear path to you know getting paid for some of those things so from that perspective i think we did a fairly good job of building a solution that can do that at a fairly at least definitely much cost effective than the existing modes of solution so that's something for example in tuberculosis if i talk specifically tuberculosis the biggest challenge is primarily before cure any of ai solutions were existing the easiest way to test people was something called a microbiological test and which would cost you a fairly huge bomb and that's a, one of the reasons why you cannot as a tv program or someone running tv program you do not you cannot scale that to a lot of people uh, the biggest challenge is you have to do it probably for a very few limited people in a small geography and with ai and x-rays what we could do was primarily built in a screening system which could look at patients it could identify whether they actually are likely to be tb and then only those patients who are suspected of tb are the ones who get tested using the microbiological test and this process if you are earlier using 100 odd or 200 or expert machines let's say to test 100 machines to test 100 people so suddenly using 100 machines you would be able to test out 500 to 1000 people and just and leveraging the existing infrastructure on x-rays so i think those are the ways which we have been able to drive innovation i mean it's just not about the software itself i think it's primarily more about the fact that we will leverage existing infrastructure like extra x-rays right x-rays are almost there across all hospital sites different kind of vans all of those so just by exist using some of those kind of thing we have been able to also lower down the whole healthcare delivery cost of healthcare delivery in some of these geographies awesome so talking about scaling up and taking things forward earlier this year cure.ai secured funding of 16 million dollars big congratulations to the whole team and recently they have also been recognized as the most accurate algorithm for detecting tuberculosis on chest x-rays by the stock tb partnership how do you feel about this and how has such milestone shaped the qxr as a product and helped cure.ai create a name for it globally um i think you mentioned two things so the first one is funding so thanks for the wishes and yeah that's obviously a milestone in the journey and it's a validation of the kind of work that we have been doing uh but yeah talking about the publications uh i think yeah that's a phenomenal publication because as i was mentioning earlier and you had asked this question about what is the gap between what are being right. done academically and what is being done commercially yeah and the biggest challenge as i was mentioning then also is that there's not a single data set for example to compare say different ai solutions your ai solutions are not competing on kaggle right so there's no way to know if one ai solution says 90 nine person accuracy versus someone says you know say 91 or 92 uh there's not really a way to understand which one is actually more accurate because everyone's doing on their own data and there's nothing really to understand how to go about that process as as a clinical clinician who's trying to understand which ai system to look at and this was a second time actually so stop tv partnership back in october of 2019 uh they had done a similar study which included three ai companies and they had looked at patients from 2000 patients from nepal and cameroon uh and they did a similar kind of a study where they compared ai solution and what they found was that 2000 is probably a, a very small number to actually ascertain which one is good so mm-hmm. what they did was in this second round of studies if i would call it is to look at 23000 patients and not only just three ai companies they looked at five ai companies and they did this over a fairly good month or two i think almost two 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 and a half months of effort they put in and i'm huge kudos to that entire team to do this kind of an independent independent evaluation exercise for the betterment of the entire community so once the results were out i think it was fairly very strong validation of the quality of research that we have been doing so far the fact that on a 23000 data set among five ai companies cure was the best performing ai solution and by a margin that definitely boosted the entire not only the morale of the team in terms of what we had been believing in and been very focused i think as as challenged with cure and the way we have been looking at it is that we have been very focused on say few things we have not really dived into bunch of ai so for example there are companies which would do ai for 
chest CT, abdomen CT, 15 different things, let's say. But for us, we have been very focused on chest X-rays and head CT. And uh, just because we have been very focused and just doing those two things exceedingly well, so that strategy, we're actually right in going ahead with that strategy. It was something we got a validation, I think, when this kind of results come in. And uh, obviously, I think in overall sense, I think this the very fact that all these five AI companies perform better than human leaders also was a very strong point, I think. That actually helped people understand that, okay, there's a possibility that AI could actually perform better than human leaders in certain kind of tasks. And it probably might make sense to use AI at least for a screening kind of a thing. Uh, so that knowledge, I think, was most important to be brought out to the rest of the world. And I, I'm genuinely big uh, congratulations and kudos to the Stop TV team for bringing that whole message out about AI and what different options you have within AI and how it performs in a similar kind of way. Yeah, so I would agree that getting approval and getting recognition in health tech, it's, it's a long journey. And I would like to you know, shift our focus to the current pandemic that we all are dealing with, the COVID-19 pandemic. So Cure has released a COVID-19 progression monitoring tool and pandemic response platform. And basically what it does is to sort patients into those that need immediate attention and to those that can live under home quarantine. It's leaving used to monitor disease progression in six countries, including Italy's San Rafael University Hospital in Milan. So I want to understand what went into tailoring the QXR product to cope up with this current problem of COVID-19 so fast. Primarily, all the great work was done by the R&D team to make this ready. I still remember the meeting back in March of 2020, just you know, a few days before the lockdown thing happened in India. And we were really discussing about what we can do for COVID. And the most you know, obvious answer was obviously what we can do with the QXR product because that already had the C capable. Different findings, radiological findings of COVID were already something we were CD approved for. So it was more about understanding what exactly, how those manifestations look actually in COVID, what are the kind of characteristics of them. For example, if it's an opacity, it's unilateral or bilateral, uh, you know, different kind of medical characteristics of those kind of things. So it was more about understanding that piece. So there was thankfully again, uh, big thanks to the entire research radiology community out there who put out a lot of research efforts till then based on the patients in China what are the kind of findings that they were seeing from these patients. So that made our job a lot more easier because we could finally understand uh, very easily going through some of these literatures is that this is the kind of findings that we well, already have the capability to detect and this is how the findings normally look on the X-ray. So keeping that in mind, I think we jumped right away to action to see what we can do with that kind of a data. Uh, and then again, we worked with some of the partners to help us get some access to COVID specific data, which made the testing and the training of the algorithm a lot more uh, stronger. And I think just around the same point of time, we, because of the you know, fact that we were doing already something similar with chest X-rays, we already had a lot of interests that were coming in. And San Rafael was, for example, I think the first site we went live with back in, yeah, around somewhere in early April, I don't remember exactly. But yeah, and then onwards, it's been, uh, yeah, it, it, we obviously with that particular deployment, we also learned a lot of different things about um, how clinicians are using it, how physicians are going to actually take decision based on that. And once that story became clearer, then we could expand into other geographies and other loca locations across the world, you know, trying to help them. The challenge is obviously AI is till that, before that point, AI was really something which just people are looking more with the eye of a suspicion. Uh, what happened with COVID and the pandemic was the healthcare systems across the globe got severely burdened with the kind of workload that was coming in. And uh, there were a lot of centers I know where I, I had I talked to some of these radiologists and they were spending almost their weekends, their uh, entire days from morning 7 to almost midnight uh, in the hospital wards trying to help people. Some of them even did not have their protective kits along with them. So it was a real big challenge. I still remember talking to physicians across the globe. It was actually a massacre of sorts. And at that point of time, AI could definitely suddenly could act as someone who's almost part of the team, right? Except that it's not a human being, but it's a machine which is able to work for them and help them reduce their workload. So this 
pandemic also changed that perspective of what AI can do and with people looking at it from a suspicion to looking at it more of a support tool. So that uh, shift in perspective also, I think, broadly happened during this perspective, during this entire pandemic. And after it, I think we went with live with Italy, then obviously there are a lot of other places, including India and in UK, NHS, Bolton as well. We went live. So this, I think, created the foundation stone and the stories that started coming out of some of these locations about how physicians use it. Uh, pave the way for more physicians across the globe using it. Great. So, talking about challenges, Cure.ai also tied hands with the Municipal Corporation of Greater Mumbai to start using chest X-rays to detect coronavirus cases. What were some of the challenges that you faced with the density of population like that of Mumbai? Yeah. So, ironically, the entire team, at least before COVID, was is based out of Mumbai, and I'm still in, based in Mumbai and. Uh, the fact that while Bombay soon it became very clear within the first one month or so that this going to be a Bombay is going to be a hotbed for some time, and uh, the fact that we could step up to that particular need in the city that you are situated in uh, was a big matter of big pride for all of us. And when we started with Bombay Municipal Corporation, I think the first aim was primarily to look at some hospice sites across the city uh, where we can deploy this where this can help in doing that screening for people and the major challenge in bombay was that i think a lot of people were asymptomatic carriers they were not really i think it was also acknowledged by the municipal corporation that there's almost 70 75 percent of the people asymptomatic which meant that there are a lot of people who were completely showing no signs till like a certain point of time and then suddenly within a matter of three four days they would suddenly become critical and then they would be need to be admitted and there's obviously a huge challenge around the hospital beds and all. So using the extra solution what we could primarily do was specifically pick up this kind of people when showing no symptoms but had already some kind of chest infection. Pick up those patients and screen them, triage them for RT-PCR. So that was obviously the biggest use case that sort of came out of Bombay and once we did this deployment in some of the hospital sites it became really something that made a lot of sense for everyone. And then what obviously was asked for us from us, the next step was that can we deploy some of these things in mobile vans? The reason being a lot of population in Mumbai is primarily densely located. And for this kind of people, asking them to come all the way to hospital sites to get tested was something that did not, that sounded a bit probably challenging in terms of obviously the entire transport and everything locked down in the city. So what we did was we put this kind of extra systems, the AIE and the extra systems in vans and the vans would go out and test people in specifically in the containment zones or the zones with the highest COVID activity. And then people who would were likely to have COVID or who are showing any kind of chest inflammation, those patients were sent in for RT-PCR test right then and there. So this, I think the way we did it in Bombay is fairly different from the way we did it in other parts of the world. And that's primarily because of the kind of city Bombay is and you know challenges that are there in sort of doing this in hospital centers and all. But this definitely proved to be a very fruitful measure of how our way how BMC tackled COVID. I think uh, it, it's been phenomenal. I think the way they have tested out people, how the number of people they have tested, and also how they have uh, managed those patients who have been tested, right? Sending them to isolation homes, separate isolation homes. That has been phenomenal. I think it's amazing how Cure.ai is contributing to flattening the curve, not just in India, but globally. And kudos to your team for that. Coming for, uh, to how Cure.ai has been a part of many firsts in getting CE approvals of UXR and QCON. Firstly, congratulations on receiving the 4-in-1 FDA clearance for QER head CD scan AI solution. For the audience, can you tell how getting this um, approval is a big thing in the health tech field? Actually, firstly, thanks for that. Yes, it's been uh, a fairly first uh, for an Indian AI company and we are proud to yeah. be leading that way. FD is obviously the most stringent in terms of regulatory authorities across the globe. And FDA's stamp of approval definitely makes not only, it's although it's meant primarily for usage and approval within US, but because of the way they screen the process and the way they look and go about that entire thing, it makes it a completely acceptable standard across the entire globe and fairly 
respected standard, if I would call it. So to get an FDA approval uh, for any kind of drugs or any kind of uh, medical device is, is a fairly big deal that way, just because of the global uh, approval that you get because of the same product. And the fact that FDA goes about that process very strictly and stringently also mentioned you know, means that anyone who's going through that process and getting an approval uh, definitely has done their due course of diligence and their work has been fairly reviewed by everyone involved. Uh, so from that perspective, FDA definitely makes a lot of, if I would call it, in terms of the approval and the acceptability of the AI. Uh, but outside that, I think the other big, not a big thing, but I think the other thing is that since anyone across the globe can do that, anyone can apply for an FDA approval, being an Indian company and to be able to go there and do this completely remotely, actually, that was also fairly a challenge, I would say, to do some of these interactions and completely from sitting out of India. So that that definitely also was something that we were uh, not expecting, but then that the fact that we did it and we could do it successfully definitely helped us a lot. Right. Amazing. So... For our audience, again, Q.AI is present in 28 countries today and has impacted more than 600,000 lives. And its technology is being used in over 20 countries for the screening of tuberculosis. Well, that's not all. Recently, Nordic MedTech has joined forces with Q.AI to provide radiology practices with superior artificial intelligence in the Nordics and Baltic regions like Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. So with all of this going on, what's next for Q.AI? I think a big part of our focus would be still, uh, you know, in terms of product, let's probably speak of that first. I think product-wise, as I mentioned, we have been extremely focused in terms of what we have been building for chest X-ray and HCT. And that's the reason we could build kind of solutions that we have been able to build. And I think from a product perspective, obviously we want to keep looking at this particular modalities and what we can do to make the solution that, you know, take to the next notch, uh, do more findings that we can detect some of these things. Apart from that, obviously, as I mentioned earlier also, that we definitely don't want to limit ourselves to a particular geography or a particular kind of a market. So from that perspective, obviously, as you mentioned, Nordic MedTech is there. And there are a lot of our partners across the globe with whom we have been working to sort of expand our access to other markets. Uh, the goal, obviously, long-term goal is, as I mentioned, with, and it's fairly ingrained probably as part of our mission is to make healthcare more accessible and affordable. And keeping that as a in mind, we would definitely want to look at problems for which, for example, healthcare is or not problems, but I would say let's say patients or people who are delivering the healthcare services. Uh, what are the problems they are facing in terms of when it's not accessible or affordable and how we can use AI to make some of that possible. I think from that perspective, we are definitely looking to do probably different products that we can look into and expanding what we are already having and as well as in expanding to other geographies, get the regulatory approvals for all of those geographies. That's definitely part of our one-year plan. That sounds amazing and it has been quite an involved and interesting discussion so far. So we wanted to have a little fun with you in a segment that we call Rapid Fire. So let's start with the first question. Work from home versus in office. Oh, absolutely work from home. I'm reading books and you know, what better than you, you don't want to waste two hours traveling. So definitely work from home. Awesome. Are you a morning person or a night person? COVID, I was night person, but with COVID and work from home, I'm a morning person now. Okay. Success versus pain. Depends what you actually call success. Fame, definitely not. Success is important, but uh, it depends again, I think, from person to person. Okay, so next one. COVID-19, boon or a bane? A boon for definitely both perspectives. I mean, from a professional perspective, definitely what Cure has been able to do. And personal perspective is also the work from home thing has really worked out well for me. So absolutely a boon. Right. Engineering versus medical. Oh, this is tough. <laughs> Engineering still, medical, you go back to my tent and I had to do this all over again. I would still not do it. I love it. I, I really love reading about it. It's interesting aspects, but uh, I guess, yeah, I'm better off doing the, the computer science piece of it. 
so you have to being a semi radiologist right <laughs> yeah i guess that's what i have to settle for in this life awesome mathematics versus statistics maths any day and statistics is fairly an expanded version of maths and i don't really look at it very differently from there but inherently since childhood i have trying to read a lot more on maths i did just it's a lot more fancier for me okay so here with we are almost at the end of the podcast and we wanted to know you a little personally so why the name cureotic uh, oh no this is funny actually i get asked this a lot a uh, cure actually the reason we went with that is we wanted to have cure with a q uh, with a sorry c right the original cure and we didn't get a domain for it that's basically <laughs> about it and we settled for cure with a q it just sounded yes yeah, so- sweet subtle and also catches your attention so that was about it okay so you've been to many countries across the globe what is that one place you want to travel once this pandemic is over i'm mean, genuinely i don't want to travel in and i used to hate all that travel schedule that i had uh, but if i had to actually look back and one only one place that i really enjoy i think that was in azerbaijan which is in baku uh, azerbaijan so that something okay. i really love uh, definitely given a chance i would want to go back there okay so living in mumbai what's your take on mumbaikers lifestyle i love it i i hail from kolkata which is fairly laid back and which is not as active if i would call it and it has got a warmth of its own but uh, mumbai for me is a city of dreams right uh, and moved here almost 10 years back exactly almost 10 years back and it's been a fancy journey from not only the college but also after college so for me it's a city of dreams it's a place of constantly working towards your dreams and achieving them and this city definitely rewards you are working hard so for me that's primarily what mumbai is so with this we come to the end of episode 1 of the cure.ai podcast with rohit thank you for sharing your journey bringing affordable accurate and faster medical diagnosis worldwide the pandemic may have put the brakes on some plans but the team is nevertheless looking to expand cure.ai product portfolio globally thank you Thanks for calling me for the podcast. It was a pleasure to be here and was definitely fun. Make sure to subscribe to the Co-Learning Lounge YouTube channel and join their community. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes in the series. We are going to talk a lot about what other aspects of Cure are and they are definitely doing fantastic work building tech communities across the globe. So please definitely support them.